Hi, glad you're back today. This episode contains a threat of violence, but no actual violence taken. So take that for what it's worth. In my last two episodes, I focused on my daughter's life, both with and without her father as a part of her existence. I could tell many, many more stories about the kind of life that she witnessed as she was growing up and the kind of home that she lived in. But today, as a part of the podcast, I want to include an event I briefly mentioned in the episode, Suffer the Little Children. And the reason I'm using this episode to tell this story is because it puts a pretty good spin on the character of the person that I was married to. To be completely accurate, what I will describe to you is the event that preceded my ex-husband's return from National Guard basic training, which happened the night before we met him at the airport when my daughter was eight months old. Before last year, I had not related this story to anyone, but because I was starting to feel compelled to talk about my life in all its highs and lows, I told this story to a group of people. At the time of this incident, I was 23 years old, and I had just spent the last four months living alone and raising my infant daughter alone. I had struggled through those months on less income for my husband than the recruiter had promised him. And as I worked only as a childcare provider in the home of my employer, I was finding it difficult to pay the bills and make ends meet. I even applied for government aid in the form of food stamps. This news did not land softly on the ear of the soldier himself. He considered it a shameful thing. And I explained, that it only seemed right since it was the government's fault that we were receiving less money than we had been promised. This would not be the only offensive news I had to tell him during those months, however. The real coup de grace would come, as I said, the night before his return home, when he called from the army base to give me the details of his flight. I had to deliver the news that I had quit my job, but I had a very good reason. When I told my employer that I was expecting, I also asked her if it would be all right for me to bring the baby along with me to work because paying for childcare for an infant was very expensive. She graciously agreed to my bringing the baby along as I would still be able to take good care of her children who were all in school. I was always very aware of what a blessing it was to take my daughter with me for almost the first entire year of her life, allowing me to breastfeed on demand most of the time. The children enjoyed playing with her after school and for the most part, the situation worked well. And then came the summer months when the kids were home from school all day and they wanted to be outside a lot of the time. By the last weeks of the summer, my daughter was becoming very mobile 
and when I was busy with the kids, she liked to roll through the house in her walker. This was in the early 80s, before all the entertaining gadgets were attached to walkers, like the overhead loops and the musical buttons, but she would make the rounds of the first floor, and if she got stuck somewhere, like between a table and a chair or something, she started to complain. One late summer, I had my daughter in her walker when the three kids came and asked if they could ride their horses. I called to check with their mother and and she said, yes, it's okay, so outside they went. Well, a few moments later, they came running back inside telling me what they needed was help with putting on their saddles and bridles. Now, usually there was a stable guy full time because they also owned Uh, a large team of draft horses that they would uh, show at state fairs and parades, etc. I tried to explain to the kids that I couldn't go outside and leave my daughter alone because it was a split-level house and there was no way to stop her from going to the stairs. They started to complain that I was supposed to do everything their mother said, which was true up to a point, but not necessarily to include saddling horses. I took a quick look in the stable, but I told the kids I couldn't do what they wanted and they'd have to wait. Well, I got back into the house a minute later and I could hear my daughter crying, not wailing uncontrollably, but still distressed. She had managed to move her walker to the two steps leading to the first level. And she and her walker, she was still in the walker, they were resting slightly sideways on the steps. She wasn't hurt, she was scared, but I was also scared and angry because my job description, as I've said three times now, did not include stable duty. When the mother, my boss, came home from work that night, I rather hastily informed her that I was going to be leaving the job. I told her what had happened when I was out of the house and she understood, but she said, Her first priority was her children and giving them what they wanted. So we agreed to disagree and I did assure her that her children were my priority as well. But since I had an infant, I also needed to look out for her. My hastiness in this decision was not lost on me by any means. And although I was certain I would find work, it it wasn't going to be next day. And I would need to do some quick searching before I could look for daycare for my daughter. I mean, everything, you know, has to go in a certain way at certain times and nothing works out from point A to B as fast as you think it's going to. So this, this was the scary situation that I was facing right before my husband was set to return home from his training after being gone for four months. Never one to face a bad situation without at least a thought to making it less scary, I knew my best chance at not feeling scared out of my wits would be to tell my husband before he arrived at the airport. I mean, I could always skip town, right? I knew this would be a catalyst to a huge fight but I couldn't have guessed what his reaction would actually be. 
he called and we talked about his flight and how anxious he was to come home, how hot it was where he was, what he was looking forward to when he got home, which I'm sure you can imagine after four months. He was afraid our daughter wouldn't recognize him or that she would cry or she wouldn't even go to him if he tried to hold her. And I said, you know, even if she did, it's normal for that age and he shouldn't take it personally. All babies are are strange with people sometimes. But it wasn't his fragile ego I was worried about preserving. It was my fragile face when he found out that I had quit my job. He was about to get off the call, so I knew I had to suck it up and say what I had to say. After he heard me say, quit my job, I couldn't get him to listen to anything else. Couldn't get him to listen to my reason, my rationale, my concern for his kid, nothing. What followed was a conversation I really didn't want to have and one that I will never forget. It alone created the greatest fear in me that I had experienced to that point in my life, maybe even since. And if you've been listening to these from the beginning, you've heard me talk about traumatic experiences involving a dog, traumatic experiences involving having part of my finger cut off in a door, traumatic experiences involving being held down in and beaten. So fear for me was pretty relative. And at the age of 23, I was still getting accustomed to being in fear because I hadn't grown up in a a situation that was overtly fearful, but I had married into one. So I knew that anything was possible. Even though I made my point well, I thought, about the safety of our own daughter taking precedence over the, the satisfaction and the whim of the boss's kids, it seemed that all he could hear was that I had left a job with no plans for the next. He would be going back to his old job, but it would take at least a couple of weeks to, to have some uh, money back in the bank to, to get paid for those first two weeks. In my defense... I know it was a stupid move. I know that. But I reacted as a mother. And after listening to his rant, I was feeling like this particular mother wasn't going to have much of a future. After calling me by every repulsive curse word in the dictionary, he then started running through what he was going to do to me when he got home. And it ran the gamut from beating me, to choking me, to hiding my body out in the woods somewhere. And I began to think, and what's going to become of my daughter if this is what happens to me? He declared me the stupidest bitch in the whole world, unworthy of raising a child without a way of supporting her financially. She would be better off with him and his family who would care about her and take much better care of her because his mother would never do anything so stupid or so selfish. I was, to say the least, (laughs) the very least, exceedingly frightened. 
And if you've never been in a situation where someone can can frighten you with just the tone of their voice or the look on their face or that gesture that you know means later on we're going to have some trouble, well then just try to imagine being so frightened that you you can't even control your mind. You can't even you can't even make your body relax. That was me at that time. I I knew what he was like and I believed what he was telling me. It's as simple as that. Some people when I've told this situation to people, they will say, well, but you know, he was angry and certainly he didn't mean it and you know, I mean, we've all said dumb things. Yes, we have, but but when you live in fear of someone who has repeatedly told you that your life means nothing, that if they wanted to, they could snuff you out completely, it wouldn't take much, you, you tend to believe that. So whether it was irrational or not, I truly believed it. To say that I didn't sleep that night would not do justice (laughs) to what I experienced. I prayed and I cried for hours, literally the whole night. I prayed and I cried. I asked God not to take me away from my baby, to protect my life and to let my husband rethink his situation, to calm down by the time he got there, maybe distance and time would, would help. But I dressed my daughter the next morning. I made her look as cute as possible. I tried to make myself look as, you know, va-va-voom as possible to maybe trigger that first instinct and not the other one. I was trying not to appear anxious, but I'm sure I had bags under my eyes. Uh, I told my daughter that we're going to go see Daddy and that he's going to be so excited to see her again. My mother-in-law wanted us to ride with her and her kids, and for once I was thankful because, well, I didn't think he was going to do anything violent in front of them, and maybe not in, in a public airport with other, you know, National Guard people there to witness it. At least if I was going to die, I would have a few moments of safety. Still, the words he had spoken were running through my head on a repeated loop. I kept praying. I kept praying that day that my daughter would be well-treated once I was gone, that she wouldn't be forced to live in the kind of frightening domain that I had already begun to live in. Yes, I had resigned myself to dying because because that's what he said he was going to do. He was going to kill me. And as I've said before, I believed what he told me. So, that's where I was on that day. Just trying to hold it together long enough for that plane to land and for him to see his daughter and how much she had grown and Maybe to think, oh yes, I missed my wife very much and I overreacted and everything is fixable. And maybe, maybe my positive thoughts took root in his head 
because once the plane landed, his emotions just came over him. He cried to see how much our daughter had grown. He wanted to go home and and see the things she could do now. And then he hugged me, you know, just that long, tight grasp of a hug when you haven't seen someone you love for a while. And he was crying and telling me he loved me and, and he was sorry if he had scared me. And I didn't know if it was an act for his family and other onlookers, but I felt a small sense of relief. I promised him, I promised him that I would find a job as soon as possible, and I did. His anger, forgotten in a surge of lust or longing or homesickness or whatever, he became fixated on making up for lost time, and thus my life was spared, and I lived to fight another day, and another, and another. Thank you for listening. I appreciate all the love and good vibes that you send out when you're hearing this difficult uh, narrative of my life. And if it's anything like yours or people you love, just know that we we can help each other be strong. For those who are in it, for those who are out of it safely, we all need to help each other. Thanks. Pass the word. Bye-bye.